Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. So the title for today is The Do's and Don'ts of Judging. The Do's and Don'ts of Judging. We're starting Matthew chapter 7. We've been in the Sermon on the Mount. And let me pray first. Father, we thank you for the worship today and the chance to refocus and to just tune out the world and, and, to, and to think about you and to praise you and to reconnect with you in a very intimate and close way. And I pray for every one of us, Lord, that you would help us now through your word to move forward in our faith and whatever your Holy Spirit wants to convict us of. And, and if any of us here don't know you yet, that your spirit would use this, these words to pull us into a relationship with you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to look at one of the most well-known and popular Bible verses in the USA today. People who know, Chuck said it's true, people who know nothing of the Bible, have never even opened the book or read it, know no other verse, know, know nothing about God, know nothing about Jesus, they will quote this verse on a regular basis. Also, it's the most misunderstood <laughs> and misused Bible verse. Any guesses what this verse is without peeking already? Do not judge. Do not judge. Don't judge. All right? And close behind that is don't throw stones. Right? Those are the two Bible verses. Pretty much everybody in our country seems like they can quote this. Right? You just, just tell someone that the Bible says something is wrong or God doesn't want us to do something. And, and just tell someone that something is right or wrong, something that they believe is not go along with what God teaches, and you'll hear it quoted right away. Chuck, how many times on the street do you hear that quoted? <laughs> over and over and over, don't judge, don't judge, right? And some will say to me, don't judge. And, and I, keep, we don't want to be judgmental, but when I say what the Bible says, some will say, don't judge. And I'll, and I'll say, why? And they say, because it's wrong to judge. And uh, what, is, what did they just do? They just judged, right? It's crazy to say that we can never judge, all right? It's crazy. First of all, it's not biblical, as we're going to see. It, it, there's biblical judging and non-biblical judging. We're going to see that in just a minute, and we're going to see what Jesus is referring to, really. But it's also not practical or reality. If you, on the way to church here this morning, if you drove through a stop sign and you saw the, heard the siren behind and the light blinking and the policeman pulled you over and, and he handed you a ticket. You said, I'm sorry, officer. You rip it up. Uh, you're not supposed to judge. Don't judge. What would he do? He'd take you directly to the judge, wouldn't he? Right? So it's not, there's, there's no such thing as not judging. Right? Uh, but this is a driving force behind the so-called tolerance movement, which is very, very selective. And when I say tolerance, I'm not limiting it to one issue. It's across the board in America, the whole right and wrong and relativism. It's, it's, but tolerance is very selective. If I say something is wrong because the Bible, and it's not, I don't make the rules. We have a decision as Christians. We're either going to follow the Bible and believe what Jesus said and put our faith in that, and, and in our faith in Jesus, or not. That's the decision. If we if we decide to, then then we got to follow it. All right? We don't make the rules. But if I say something's wrong and because God teaches it in the Bible, they'll, people will tell me that's very intolerant. I hear it all the time. That's very intolerant. You can't say something is wrong. Ever hear that from anybody? You can't say something is wrong, especially what you're talking about. But I said, but you just told me 
I'm wrong. Isn't that intolerance? Right? You see, it's, it's, but it turns out that what this really means, what tolerance really means, is they will only tolerate people that agree with them, with their point of view. Because I have looked it up in the dictionary, and I think historically tolerance always has meant people with different views respectfully disagree. We say, well, even though we don't agree with someone, and there's a lot of people in our country, we all disagree about many things, but tolerance is, even though we disagree, we still respect each other. We respect people's right to believe something, even though we don't believe it. And even though we don't like it, we still respect their, their right to hold to that. That's what our country's all about, right? And the Christian faith is about that, too. Christianity does not... Forget the Crusades. That's a different form of Christianity. This, the Crusades are... We, we're not children of the Crusades. That's a whole different religion. Than, than biblical Christianity. In fact, the Crusades were first sent, the very first crusade was sent against Bible-believing Christians in France. Did you know that? The Crusades were used against Christians, too, Bible-believing Christians. They were wrong. But anyway, the, our country is all about people having different views, and that'd be okay, but in biblical Christianity, it's about that, too. Biblical Christianity does not force anybody to follow the Bible. It doesn't follow, force anybody to believe anything because God gives us that choice. And a real Bible-believing Christian who puts their faith in Christ knows that you can't force people to become a Christian. That's not real faith. That's coercion and then you end up with a cultural faith or a fake faith. So true tolerance is biblical because we... People have to make that decision for themselves. You can't force them. And same with our country. But in our country, it's come to, to mean something totally different. In fact, the, the tolerance guru, George Soros, a lot of you know him, He listen to his quote. He said, We should therefore claim in the name of tolerance the right not to tolerate the intolerant. He's not joking. The right to, not to tolerate the intolerant. It, I'm sorry, the right not to tolerate the intolerant. We should claim that any movement preaching, where's this going, right? We should claim that any movement preaching intolerance places itself outside the law. And we should consider incitement to intolerance as criminal. Well, enough said. We all know where this is headed. We all know where the world is headed. Matthew 24 makes it very, very clear, doesn't it? But back to Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. And to understand this, we have to understand the key, the, the context of this. That's the key. What is Jesus? When he says, do not judge, who is he talking to? And remember, who is he talking to? He's talking to his disciples, but he's contrasting with another group, another religious group, the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees. And the Pharisees, he's saying, you have to be different. The Pharisees were very judgmental. They were judging everybody all the time, but they were super hypocrites. They were just fake. Religious people, right? And, and uh, he, he wants to contrast them from these religious Pharisees. In fact, remember our song? Remember? Uh, I'll give it a try. Uh, I just want to be a sheep, bad, bad. I just want to be a sheep, bad, bad. Don't want to be a wolf, no. I just want to be a sheep, bad, bad. I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't want to be a Pharisee. Because they're not fair, you see. 
I don't want to be a Pharisee. Okay, so that's how you remember. I don't want to be a Pharisee. And then Sadducees. Sadducees. Pharisees were all about rules. But Sadducees were religious leaders that believed that once you died, you just went to the worms. You were done. That was the Sadducees. Why they wanted to be involved in religion and run the Jewish church, I don't know. But the Pharisees and Sadducees were always fighting about, did you come back from the dead? Pharisees believed you did. Sadducees said you didn't. Once you died, you were done. That's why the song goes, I don't want to be a Sadducee. I don't want to be a Sadducee because they're too sad, you see. I don't want to be a Sadducee. See, they're sad because that's it. This is, if this is all there is, that's sad, isn't it? So that's the way to remember Pharisees, Sadducees, all right? That was free. All right, so anyway. The, um, <clears throat> so the context, when Matthew chapter 7 here, in Matthew chapter 7, let's pick it up. I'm going to read the first five verses, but we're only going to get to the first one. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's going to take several weeks to get through. This is pretty deep. But just the, we're just going to hit the first part here. Do not judge. And in the Greek, the word is critic. Uh, do not criticize. Don't be a critic. That's where we get the word critic from, is that word for judge there. And, but if you look at the Bible as a whole, it's clear what Jesus is talking about. It becomes very, very clear. What it, first of all, I want to say what it doesn't mean. We're going to look at what the Bible talks about what it doesn't mean. The first thing, what it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that we can't call sin... Sin. And that's how it's used in our country, right? Can't say anything's wrong, can't call anything sin. That's not what it means. When he says, uh, people often will say, don't judge, or very closely connected, don't throw stones. We get that out of John chapter 8, when when they brought the woman caught in adultery, and the Pharisees wanted to stone this woman, okay? I always say to people, uh, yeah, but finish reading the passage. When they say, don't throw stones, they say, First of all, I'm not throwing stones. I'm just saying what the Bible teaches. Just saying what God told us through his son, Jesus Christ. But finish the passage, because nobody ever finishes this passage. At the very end, Jesus says to that woman caught in adultery, Now go and sin no more. He said, I'm not going to let these guys rock you, you know, throw the rocks and kill you. But go and sin no more. Very, very important ending to the, the sin part, because it is sin. The problem wasn't that they called, the problem wasn't in John chapter 8 that the Pharisees were calling adultery sin. It's true. The problem was the state of their heart. The state of their heart was filled with hate and they wanted to kill. They just trapped this poor woman. Where was the guy, first of all? They let him off. If you follow the stories in the, the Middle East and the whole stories in Pakistan and stuff, you see it still happens today, right? Still going on. But they, they let the guy go. They trap this woman. They're going to kill her. And not, they're also trying to trap Jesus and kill him too. They wanted to use this as a way to kill the woman and Jesus at the same time. They wanted to murder both of them. That was the real issue. Jesus, so it wasn't the issue. It wasn't about the sin though. Jesus said, go and sin no more. Remember the paralytic that Jesus healed, the guy by the pool. He heals this guy. He's been paralyzed for 38 years, he heals him. And what did he say to that man? He said to that man, now go and stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. 
Sin is very serious to God. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross. He came to die because sin is serious to God. And we will be judged. And we do need to be forgiven. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross for us. The Son of God came and died on that cross so that we would put his sin, our sin would be put on him. And that by asking him to forgive us and putting our faith in him, we could be forgiven. It is serious to God. But a way has been made out through his Son, Jesus Christ. There's a way out. So, go, do not judge doesn't mean all judging is wrong. The Bible teaches it's very important to practice biblical judgment. In fact, look ahead here in chapter 7, verse 15. It says here, watch out for false prophets. That's right behind me, too, if you want to look up here and you don't want to turn. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. The Bible teaches, to, teaches us to discern by the fruit. Now, wait till we hit that passage. There's some wild stuff there. But we're taught to discern by the fruit. We'll get to that a little bit more. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 to 22. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 to 22, it says... Got that one, Josh? Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. We're told to detest. We're told to test things. To hold on to the good. Avoid evil. We're told to discern as Christians. It's very, very important to do that. Test everything. Hebrews 5.14. Hebrews 5.14 says an important part of spiritual maturity is the ability to distinguish good from evil. It says, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained in themselves to distinguish good from evil. A very important part of maturing, as we mature spiritually, as we grow spiritually, a very important part of that maturing process is that we have the ability to distinguish good from evil. So what that means is if we are fuzzy on that, we have not reached the spiritual maturity that God wants us to reach. Very, very important. We need to grow up spiritually. We need to be discerning, biblically discerning, and not fall for the lies, not fall for the deception in the United States Today, it's, it's, it, the church in the USA today is, is so many times, just turn on the TV and look at what these guys are preaching. It's, it's, it's deception. It's false teaching. And so many Christians have fallen under the deception. Uh, it's post-election, so I'm going to say a few things about the election. Uh, I purposely held off on these comments. But now I can say a few things because I can't be accused of being political or trying to sway voters, all right? Now, if you're offended by what I say today, just sit tight because before I'm done with Matthew 7, I'm going to offend everybody. Whether you're a Democrat, whether you're a Republican, I'm going to, I'm going to hit it all because this is amazing. This election brings out some amazing things on both sides of the thing. And also, if you're not a Christian... You're just here seeking and checking it out. This is not for you. If you this, I'm going to beat up Christians a little bit here. All right? So if you're not a Christian, just sit back and enjoy this, okay? Uh, if you're just seeking, a lot of you are seeking, and that's good. That's great. Just come seek. Let God work in, in time. You know. But if you have put your faith in Christ, you say, God, I believe Jesus died on that cross for my sin. I put my faith in him. I trust in him. I give my life to him. If you've taken that step, you've crossed the line. Right? Remember the Alamo, the line of the sand? You've crossed the line. And God expects something different of us then. So, uh, once again, if you're not a Christian, you're seeking, sit back and enjoy this. All right. All right. Now, with the election. I'm not saying anybody should. Now, get this. I'm not saying anyone should have voted for Romney, who, by the way, is a Mormon. 
And uh, Mormonism is, part of, is a cult. It's a very anti-Christian cult. And wait till we get a little further along in Matthew 7. I think verses 15 and 16, I'll probably get to that. You're going to be pretty shocked at just exactly what Mormonism is. So I'm not saying anybody should have voted for Romney. In fact, there was a group of pastors, black pastors, that took a stand this, this election. They took a stand very publicly. It was in the news, not widely decimate, you know, put out there, but it was there. They said last election we voted for President Obama and we made a mistake. Because it turns out he's not a Christian. He does not hold to Christian beliefs or practice Christian. So these black pastors said, we cannot, and we encourage our congregation, we cannot vote for him. But we have trouble with Romney, too, because he's a Mormon, and that's a cult. And it has a history of racism. So we have a real big problem with Romney, too. So they actually told their churches, listen, the best we can say is don't vote. I can respect that response. I can deeply respect those guys taking that step. Because that was a very courageous thing to say in their communities. And biblically, you can defend that very well. So I'm not saying anyone should have voted for Romney. But at least a Christian could. Uh, I'm talking about Christians here. A Christian could have voted for Mitt Romney. Because at least he supported some key biblical values. Okay? I am saying that no mature Christian would vote for President Obama. Because he's the most biblical, hostile president in the history of this country. And if you need proof, I will be glad to pass you some Bible, his voting record compared to the Bible, and it's shocking. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up in the church, and I wouldn't be if he wasn't, but he claims to be a Christian. If he didn't claim to be a Christian, it doesn't matter what he does. Because I can't, in the pulpit... Condemn someone who doesn't claim to be a Christian. But he claims to be a Christian. Wait till I get the Mitt Romney. Just don't wait till I get done. It's going to be an equal opportunity here before I'm done. All right? He, he claims to be a Christian. And in Matthew 7, 15 to 16 says we're told to judge fruit. That's how we judge the sheep from a wolf. That's how we're supposed to tell. President Obama's voting action are totally anti-Christian. You take any biblical value and you compare it, it's totally anti-Christian. You talk about the sanctity of marriage, sanctity of life, support for Israel. It's just unbelievable, the voting. I'm just going by fruit, actions. I'm not judging his heart. I'm going by the actions. Support for Israel. And by the way, Israel needs our support. And God help us if we ever turn on Israel, which I'm afraid we may do. We are tilting that way very heavily. Israel, if you've been watching the news, it's unbelievable what the media is doing with this. The, the, in Gaza, they've been shooting missiles at Israel, hundreds and hundreds of missiles on a regular basis. And Israel has showed amazing restraint. They have not responded. Finally, they say, that's enough. They respond, and what is the news reporting? These mean, mean Jews in Israel attacking these poor people. And they show picture after picture of Palestinians digging through the rubble. And, and, uh, and listen, I'm not happy we're having fighting over there. That's not my point. But my point is, Israel's just defending themselves. And wh- what if Cuba shot one missile over to Florida? What would we do? It'd be over. But they put up with hundreds and hundreds, what is the number up to? Six or seven hundred shots before Israel finally responded even once. I'm going to be sending out an, an email later, this, uh, probably today or tomorrow. Read it. 
Follow, follow the real story of what's going on over there. We need to support Israel. And I, I pray to God that our country does that because we all know what the Bible says in, in Genesis 12 about that. So, anyway, but back to President Obama. The fruit check. The fruit check fails the sheep test. He fails the sheep test. He passes the wolf test. And, and I'm not picking on it. He claims to be a Christian, right? It's sad and scary, but even more troubling is how he got elected. You see, President Obama is not our problem. The problem is the church of Jesus Christ not being the church. That's the problem. We all point to the culture and the media and, say, and expect, listen, until we start being the church, we can't blame anybody for what's going on in this country. President Obama's not the problem. He's a symptom of a much deeper spiritual problem. Joel Rosenberg on his blog, this, I just was reading it, he reported that 6.4 million Americans who voted for the present president, the present administration on election day, identified themselves as born-again evangelical Christians. Did you catch that? As born-again evangelical Christians. This is what happens when the church is weak and fails to disciple believers to turn biblical faith into action. That's powerful. And once again, I'm not saying you should have voted for Romney. I'm not saying that. This is just one example of how the church and the Christians in the U.S. today are being squeezed by the world. This is one example. I mean, you look across the board. I'm just giving you a concrete post-election example, but across the board, it's unbelievable. I, we've told this story before, the boiling frog. We are getting boiled here. You take a frog, and, in, and I know I've shared this in the past. You take a frog, and you, if you take a frog, and you put it into a, 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 a pot of hot, hot water, what does it do? Jumps out. Jumps out. Get, wants to get out of there really quickly. Right? You don't have to do this home. Trust me, it jumps out. All right. I grew up on a farm. Okay, anyway, the, uh, the, if you take that same frog and you put it in room temperature water in that pot, and you turn it up, turn it up, turn it up, guess what it does? Cooks. It never gets out. Why? Because it, it gets cooked by slowly. The temperature is so slow that it doesn't notice it, and it cooks. They die. And that's exactly the picture of the United States, the church, the Christians in the U.S. today. We have been cooked. The young people and the beliefs that they have today is scary. Those who claim to be Christian. I'm, not, I'm talking about Christians here, okay? Okay, so do not judge does not mean that we should not practice biblical judgment. It's very important in every area of our life. Our money, our, our sexual purity, our, you know, raising our children, our, you know, just every area of our life, following the laws of our country, every area of our life, it, it has huge impact. What we watch on TV and what we, what we allow into our minds, the, the computer, everything, it, it, it has a huge impact on us. So what does do not judge really mean? What does it really mean? He's talking about, Jesus is talking about unbiblical judgment. Not the stuff we've been talking about, but something different. Unbiblical judgment. For the first clue, we can look in the same passage here. Look down to, once again to verses 15 and 16. Matthew 7, 15 and 16. We already read it. It says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. 
Okay? We're told to judge fruit. What is fruit in our life? Actions. It's something you can see. That's something you can actually see. That's an action, okay? But we're not, that's what we're supposed to judge is actions. We're not supposed to judge motives. That's what Jesus is getting at, not to judge the motive. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, it says, Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes and he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose what? The motives of men's heart. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. God God is the only one who knows the motive of the heart. We are called to judge actions. We have to. That's very important. Policemen do it every day. Christians are supposed to judge actions. But but we cannot judge the motives because we don't know that. And so oftentimes we jump to conclusions, don't we? And we see somebody do something and we go beyond judging the action. We judge the motive. We go beyond what we're called to judge. It's unbiblical judgment. We criticize, many times, we, we criticize someone because their actions frustrate us, right? That's really what it comes down to. It blocks our goal. We don't get that promotion. We don't get that grade that we thought we deserved. Uh, we don't get the pl- start on our team that we thought we were going to be a starter on. We don't, we don't get, you, you get the point. There's many, many different ways that our, our goals are blocked. And, and we're, we jump to conclusions. And we judge people. We judge their motives. We're not supposed to do that. We're also not supposed to judge character. Stick to action. Stick to the action. Someone tells a lie. And we, we say, there's a difference between saying, you just told a lie, which is judging fruit, right? There's a difference between saying, you just told a lie and you're a liar. You catch the difference? They did just tell a lie. That's pretty obvious. But to call them a liar is to judge their character. We all tell lies. It doesn't make us liars. It just means something we've got to ask for forgiveness for and try not to do, right? Uh, there's a big difference between judging an action and judging character. You told a lie and you're a liar. Very, very different. And we're not supposed to condemn people to judgment. We're not supposed to condemn people to judgment. It's okay to judge sin. Hey, you just told a lie. You just were speeding. That's okay to, to judge sin because the Bible's clear on what, what is right, what does God want us to do, what he does not want us to do. But we're not supposed to judge the sinner. That's the difference. And many times people do. You're going to hell. That is judging the sinner. That person's going to hell. That's judging the sinner. That's God's job to decide who goes to heaven and hell. We can only judge the, the action, not their character, not their motive, and we can't condemn them in some way. That's, God, that's stepping outside of, that's into God's God territory, right? Very, very important. How is God speaking to us about our judging? How is he speaking? Maybe he's speaking to us about growing up spiritually so that we can practice biblical judgment. We need to grow up. We need to mature. We need to understand what the Bible really teaches and follow, take the decision to follow. Maybe God's speaking to us about judging others the wrong way. Maybe we have a judgmental spirit. Nobody here. <laughs> judgmental spirit or that hypercritical spirit or we're, we're unmerciful to other people or we, we judge people unfairly. And, and it's hard, isn't it? I mean, it's human nature, our fallen human nature. We just like to judge people. We judge people for everything, don't we? 
We judge them for the car they drive, right? Whatever. We judge them for the house they live in. We judge them for the vacations they take, you know? Why why do they go in there? We judge them for what their kids do. Nobody does that. I get it 14 times, right? Yeah, yeah, 14 times as much, and not the pastor's kids, right? We judge other people's children. Children, it comes so easy. It's so natural to our sinful self, right? I, some people I've even heard judge pastors. I, I, I know that's hard for you to believe. I, it's called roast pastor. You know, what are you having for lunch? Sunday, roast pastor. Yeah, go home and roast the pastor, you know. Rip apart what he talked about on Sunday morning. I know that does not happen here, but I've heard of other pastors share that with me. So anyway, we, we are naturally nitpickers. I never understood nitpicking. I never really understood it. I've heard it, and I knew it meant we're picking at little things, but this summer, the ultimate horror, one of our kids had lice. And as we started looking more deeply, I think like half of them had it. And and Kim, and it turned out our whole neighborhood had it, and our whole school system had it, and all these emails were going around. It's just going around and around and around, around, right? I know. So I see you guys itching. I see it. Does it make you just itch? Yeah. Right. We don't have lice now. It's safe. Okay. But but you may have it. But but uh, here's the bad thing. Only only one out of three people who get lice actually itch. Did you know that? They're allergic to the bite. Most of uh, most people who have lice don't even know it. So don't go by the itching. All right. So uh, so if you're not itching, you're still in danger. So anyway, the. Uh, but we, Kim had always said, this is the ultimate horror. She always said, if, if we ever get lice, just shoot me. She always said that. Because she didn't want to deal. We got these girls long, seven girls long hair, you know. The whole, and, and oh my goodness, Kim went into overdrive. Every stuffed anything went into garbage bags. And she's spraying. And the windows are open and vacuuming and, and shampooing. And, and oh my goodness. But she, in one week, this is a record. One week, she had all the, all the kids clean. Completely can. Clean. So, yeah, it was, it was brutal. But, but Kim would be there all, I mean, it was a full-time job. It was summer, so she wasn't doing school yet. So she's going with this special comb. The ones they sell in the shampoo don't work. Did you know that? They don't work. The shampoo combs that they sell with the lice shampoo don't work. They're too wide. Why? Because they want to sell you more shampoo, right? But, but you have to go on the Internet and get the, 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 the lice terminator or whatever they're called. Real, and you just go through in a fine-tooth comb and you look so close. And it's brutal. You know, if you see a kid wearing, uh, you know, bifocals, now it's because she ruined her eyes. Nitpicking, right? But that's okay to do with lice. It's not okay to do with people and people's faults. That's not our job. Our job is to encourage. And if somebody's struggling or going through a hard time, to help them. And if somebody's off base or hurting themselves, we'll be able to lovingly uh, 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 approach them. It's very important that, that we don't... Maybe the Holy Spirit's convicting us right now. I know he's convicting me. Of, about judge, you know, convicting us about our judging motives and judging character instead of sticking to actions. And even then, when we judge actions, we have to be very careful because it can be poisoned. Sometimes when we judge actions, even then, maybe we have some bitterness or unforgiveness in our heart or something's not right with us, and we can be, even when we're doing something to supposedly help someone, it can be poisoned, can it? Even constructive criticism. (laughs) Though we all love constructive criticism as long as we're giving it, right? But even constructive criticism can be given the wrong way. The Bible says speak the truth in love. And that's the test. I always tell people, wait till you know you can do it in love before you say something. 
Speaking that truth in love. We can step over the line if our motives aren't right. Because there's a lot of Pharisee in all of us. It's not just the mean old Pharisees. That song, I don't want to be a Pharisee. That's every one of us struggle with being Pharisees. I struggle with it all the time. We should start a group. You know, you know, AA, we should start PA. Pharisees Anonymous, all right? But it doesn't have to be anonymous because we're all Pharisees. We can just have everybody in the group. We all know it, right? Uh, we need it. How is the Holy Spirit convicting us? And, and I want to encourage you is, is this week, and just kind of make it like natural part of our life, supernaturally natural part of our life, is every time we judge someone, say, God, is that biblical or unbiblical? It, ask the Holy Spirit, just keep keeping our hearts soft. Am I doing this, speaking the truth out of love? It, what is my motive here? What am I really judging? Is it the action or is there their, their motives? Is it their character? I, I've been working on this for a couple of weeks, and I got, it's been brutal because I've Realize how many times I do this just on an everyday basis. I hope you get that same conviction. Uh, the also, I want to say this: if you're here and you're not a Christian yet, we're talking about judgment. Only God can judge, but God will judge. He's going to judge everyone who does not turn to His Son Jesus Christ to be forgiven on that cross, to be forgiven, and and and, and we will. But you don't have to face God's judgment. Nobody has to. We don't have to face his condemnation. Why? Because he says so in John chapter 3, verse 17. We always see John 3, 16, but John 3, 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus didn't come to condemn. He came to save. We're already condemned. He came to save us. And how do we receive that saving? Back up one verse, John 3, 16. For God... So love the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer, how is God speaking to us? I want to start with John three sixteen and 17. Maybe you're here today. And maybe for the first time you realize that you're facing God's judgment. We all were at one time. We were all children of wrath. Every one of us. But there's only one way. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Have we come? Have you come? Have all of us come to God the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ? Through the cross of Jesus Christ? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You can put your faith in Jesus right now. If the Holy Spirit's speaking, maybe you're still on a journey, that's okay. Wait, let let God work. But, But maybe you're ready today to take that step of putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Right where you are right now, you can pray directly to God. And just say something like this, God, I believe Jesus Christ is your son. And he died on the cross for me. For everything wrong I have ever done, he died for my sin. I believe that. And I repent of my sin. I want to turn away from my my life of sin, my life of rebellion, away from all the garbage in my life the mess I've made in my life. I want to turn away from that. And I ask you to forgive me and make me a brand new person. 
I give my life to you, God. If you've prayed that prayer, it doesn't have to be my words, but the, the, God knows our hearts. If you've prayed and put your faith in Jesus, Christ, his son, you no longer have to fear any condemnation, any judgment from God. You are now God's child, his son, his daughter. And God's spirit is actually living inside of you right now, inside every one of us who have put our faith in Christ. I want to encourage you to let me know. Maybe fill out the card in the bulletin or email me or tell me on the way out or call or text me. (laughs) Or someone, maybe you came with another friend. Let somebody here know. Let someone know so that we can be excited for you and, and help you in your new faith, encourage you in your new faith. For those of us who have already put our faith in Christ, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us this morning? It's a lifelong battle, isn't it? God, just wait, God, just help me. Convict me every time I judge somebody in the wrong way. Every time I judge a motive or a character. Convict me. Every time I respond in bitterness because I'm hurt, help me to forgive somebody. Father, we ask that you would help us speak the truth in love, that that love would just overflow with the truth so that people could feel the love of Christ in us, pouring out, even when we have to say something hard, which I have to do often. I, I, I dread doing it, but I just pray that your, your love will overflow and touch people's lives and and they will know that we love them and care about them and, and want to see them free in Jesus Christ. We pray your Holy Spirit would do this. You would send a revival to your church that it won't be too late for this country. That you would pour out your mercy through the church. We pray for that revival, that wake up, that turning back to you so that we could touch many, many other lives with the love of Jesus Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.